gonna do Valentine things. What is a Valentine? It's a card that you make for someone with hearts on it, a box of chocolate, like a heart box, lots of flowers, suckers, heart candies. They say you're sweet, I love you, you're cool. Giving like money is nice. What is romance? When you love someone, going out on walks and holding hands, like kissing, kiss them on the lips. Really gross. Not anything inappropriate. Hugging will do. What's gross about boys? They're stinky. They're really messy. They don't like to take baths. They're rude. They tackle you. They don't act mature. I just don't get it. I don't know what they want. What's weird about girls? They're always in groups gossiping. <laughs> they're always picky. They want something done exactly when they tell them to. What would you say if someone asked you out on a date? Say, no thank you. I would say, if you come back in 10 years, I might go. As long as it was okay with mommy and daddy. Who should pay for the date? The boy. The boy. The boy. Boy. <laughs> the boy. Because boys are supposed to act like gentlemen. Because girls shouldn't have to do that. Because they want the ladies to like them. What is love? Be nice to all the people in the world. Almost like overwhelming. Happy crying overwhelming. Being honest, not keeping secrets. Just doing the right thing. To have a family, that's the way that God made us. How do we show love to others? You just say, are you okay? Telling them it's okay and hugging them. And just take your time to spend with them. Because God wants us to love each other. How does love change people? If you show them love, it usually makes them forget about their pain. It makes all the world brighter. It would make them feel more confident. And they won't be sad, scared, or angry. Because they know they're being loved. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Isn't that a great little video? And as a father of three boys, I love the part where the little girls complain about how boys just tackle them. So uh, yes, I can attest to that. That happens in our house a lot. And uh, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. Now, if you didn't know that, this is your heads up. You've got two days left and thank the Lord for Amazon Prime. Okay, so now don't go on Amazon Prime right now and order that last minute gift. But we are gonna talk about some love today. We're gonna talk about some things that we associate with Valentine's Day. And if you're joining us for the first time today, welcome. We just kicked off this series last week, so you haven't missed out on a whole lot. We're talking about the different storms in life that we go through and how we believe God's word can guide us through those storms. And yes, today we are gonna talk about marriage specifically how we weather life storms in our marriages, okay? So if you're married, I want you to take a deep breath, okay? Maybe you're married and you're new to Vaughn Forest. You're like, oh my goodness, they're about to get all up in my business, okay? One of the things we like to do is just be real, be authentic, talk about the real things. And so if you're like, man, I, I just, I don't know if we really wanna do this today, it's gonna be okay, all right? Maybe you're here today and you're not married, and you're like, really? Like, you just want to rub that in? No, that is not the goal. I'm not trying to rub that in. I actually think part of what we're going to talk about today is really helpful for folks who are not married and have not gotten married or may be looking to get married again. In fact, 
if you're single and you're younger, maybe you're a high school student, like my marriage is the last thing on my mind. Well, sometimes it's good to start with the end in mind. You wanna marry a godly spouse one day? You wanna set that as a goal for you? I think some of the things we're gonna talk about today, people who've been married for a long time will say, I wish somebody would have pointed that out to me back before I got married. Because the truth of the matter is, and as we're gonna to see today, all of our marriages face storms. So we're going to talk about it today, but we're going to talk about it in a way that hopefully is encouraging for you and it gives you some hope, right? So let me take you to a passage. We introduced this passage last week. It's from Matthew chapter 7. It's the foundational passage for this series. So I'm going to read through it. We're going to talk about it for a second, and then we'll begin to see how we can apply that into our marriage. This is Jesus, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, and this is at the end of a sermon that actually takes three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. If you missed last week's message, I would encourage you this week to go back and watch that or listen to that. Because when we see the word therefore in the Bible, it's referring to something that was just said. So that's what we did last week. We unpacked Matthew chapter 7, verses 21, 22, and 23, because when Jesus gave us this illustration of building a house on the rock and building a house on the sand, he had a very specific reason in mind, and it was what he had just said. And we spent an entire message talking about that. So I want, I want to make sure you get that if you missed that message. But then we also said, once we understand this illustration and what Jesus is saying, we can apply that into multiple areas of our life. That's what we're doing in this series. Obviously today, that area of our life is marriage. So Jesus says, if you act on what I just said, you are compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, they slammed against that house, but what? It didn't fall. For I'd been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the same thing happens. Verse 27, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. So it begs the question, why would you intentionally build your house on sand? I mean, if storms are gonna come through, like you want your marriage to to be able to withstand those storms. We're gonna talk about that here in just a second. I think it's gonna surprise you, some of the things that builds marriages on sand. But before we get to that, let's just kind of lay a foundation for some storms. So grab your message notes. They're inside your bulletin that you received on your way in. We're gonna jot down a few things today. If you're joining us online, you can access those right here at vaughnforest.com or you can use your Vaughn Forest Church app. I'm gonna get to some principles here in just a second, but I wanna kind of lay a foundation about storms. Let's lay a foundation about building our marriage on sand versus building our marriage on rock because I think if we can do that, then when we get to the actual principles, the action steps are gonna make a whole lot more sense. So I didn't put these in your message notes. Last week, we talked about storms in general. Let's talk about, uh, for a second about specifically how do storms relate to our marriages, okay? This is helpful to see. Storms will come into your marriage in every season of your marriage. Sometimes we can think that storms are only there in particular seasons. So it's the couple, they haven't been married for very long. They dream of starting a family one day and they think, you know what? I bet one day when we have kids, all the storms will go away. <laughs> no way. They get worse, okay? You're like, really? Yes. You got those little ones running around chasing them, changing diapers. Like if we could just get to the teenage years, we wouldn't be dealing with these storms. But did you hear that? Wow, okay. Thank you, parents of teenagers. 
Parents of teenagers, if we could just get them out of the house, praise be to God, and be empty nesters again, then we won't be dealing with these storms. See, what happens is we set ourselves up for great disappointment when we tie storms to seasons. In every season of your marriage, you're going to face storms. They will look different based on the season of marriage you're in. But part of being married is facing storms. There's no season where you can ever escape that. Here's the second thing about storms. Storms reveal what's at the foundation of your marriage. Last week, I put a picture up of two trees. One fell, one remained standing. They went through the same storm. The storm revealed bad foundation for the tree that fell. And that's what happens when we face storms in our marriage. It'll show you what you built your marriage on. You may think you've built your marriage on a biblical foundation, on a godly foundation. Let me tell you when you'll find that out to be true, when you face a storm. A storm will always reveal what is at the foundation of your marriage. Here's the third thing about storms. Storms can either weaken your marriage or strengthen your marriage depending on the foundation. Isn't it interesting? You've probably seen this that you can have two couples go through the exact same set of circumstances, face the exact same storm. And for one couple, they come out of the storm with a stronger marriage. The other couple, it, it weakens their marriage, perhaps maybe even ending their marriage. Why is that? Well, it wasn't the storm. It wasn't the circumstance. Again, it was the foundation. The foundation determined whether or not the marriage was strengthened or the marriage was weakened. And finally, some good news about storms. Storms are not permanent. They eventually pass. One of the enemy's great strategies in your life, don't miss this, is to convince you that a storm is your new reality. It's not, it's just a storm. I mean, the last two weeks, I don't even know if I've seen the sun. I, I don't know if I've seen the sun, right? It's just been raining constantly. And you can begin to think, like, I don't think we're ever going to see the sun again. I'm so tired of this just wet, cold rain. But in July, we're going to be missing this wet, cold rain, right? Storms pass. The storm's going to pass. It's true with the weather. It's true for your marriage. So if you're walking through a storm today, be encouraged. Be encouraged. It will pass. But you don't want the storm to have wrecked your marriage. And what will determine that, again, is what you've built your marriage on. So, again, why would you build your marriage on the sand? And I don't think anybody goes into a marriage thinking, I'm going to build my marriage on the wrong foundation. I just think that it's almost a byproduct of, of kind of living in an American society, and American culture. There's different things and different expectations and a different picture of what marriage is supposed to look like, of living um, happily ever after, or, 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 or what love stories look like. And maybe we've seen too many Disney movies growing up as kids, but sometimes we kind of bring some expectations into marriage, and they're not exactly reality. There's a book written by Les and Leslie Parrott. They're, they're Christian authors. They're a married couple. They've written a number of books over the years. This particular book is called Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. And in the book, they reveal four myths that most married couples bring into their marriage. So I thought it'd be fun to talk about these myths today and, and kind of you know, use what we're talking about and say that these myths are what can build your marriage 
on sand. And, and this is a book that if you ask me to do your wedding, you're an engaged couple and you say, hey, would you do our wedding? And I've done, I don't know how many weddings over the years. I love doing weddings, but I'll make you read this book. I'll be like, hey, y'all go read this book together, Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. We're gonna get together. We're gonna talk it through. And in the book, they reveal four myths that most couples bring into their marriage. And what I'm saying is from their four myths, again, I didn't make these up, that this contributes to a lot of married couples building their marriage on sand. Again, not intentional, not something we tried to do. We just kind of picked up on these myths along the way. Again, these aren't in your notes, but this would be super helpful to jot down. Here's the first myth that we can bring into our marriage. It builds it on sand. We expect exactly the same things from our marriage. I tell couples when I'm doing their premarital counseling, when y'all say I love you, you don't mean the same thing. We all have different definitions of the word love based off of our experiences with that word. So specifically, what does it mean to say it's a myth to say we're bringing the same expectations, same things into our marriage? Well, there's two phrases to help explain this. Unspoken rules and unconscious roles. We all do it based on how we were raised, based on how marriage was modeled for us, based on our preferences. We bring unspoken rules into our marriage. Let me tell you some unspoken rules I've seen over the years. Just, you know, couples, one, one unspoken rule. You always take off your shoes when you enter somebody's house. Another unspoken rule. Why would you ever take off your shoes when you enter somebody's house, okay? Unspoken rule. You always eat dinner at six o'clock. Unspoken rule. There's always a home-cooked meal on Sundays for lunch. That's a good rule, by the way, okay? Unspoken rule. Um, you should never work seven days in a week. Unspoken rule. We always spend the holidays at so-and-so's house. Unspoken rules. You just bring these into a marriage. In fact, I remember early on in our marriage, we were friends with this couple. Again, this has been a long time ago, over 15 years ago, and Morgan and I were having dinner with them, and it was getting close to the holidays, and they were just like, yeah, you know, we're really not looking forward to the holidays this year. And I was like, why? You know, it's, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And they're like, well, we have to go to so-and-so's house. Now, so-and-so was one of their parents. And like, we have to go to so-and-so's house. It's tradition. It's where we have to go spend Christmas every year, and we just don't really want to do it. And I'm like, well, why don't you just tell so-and-so that you're not going to do it this year? And they both at the same time said, oh, we could never do that. We could never do that. They were very interested in being nice. They said, we could never do that. I'm like, but you hate it. It's not any fun. Like, probably better just to be honest with them instead of going, like, no, 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 we could never do that. Can I tell you that this past year, that couple's marriage ended? Good friends. Four kids. That's not what made their marriage end. But somewhere in the foundation of their marriage, unspoken rules became a little bit more important than just blatant honesty. See what I'm talking about? It's just subtle. What are unconscious roles? Well, well, who's going to work full time and who's going to stay at home with the kids? Who's going to cook dinner? Who's going to do the dishes? Are we going to be do-it-yourselfers or are we going to pay people to come take care of these things? Who hangs the pictures? That's a really important one to know, right? In a house. And who tells you whether or not it's crooked? And then how many fights do you get into? Is that just my house, okay? So what are these unconscious roles? Again, we bring these things into a marriage. And a lot of times, we just never stop to talk about it. That's contributing to building a marriage on the sand. Here's a second myth from Les and Leslie Parrott. <laughs> Everything good in our relationship will get better. It will get horribly worse. No, I'm kidding. Right? Let's not say that, okay? But it's not going to get better. It's not going to get better. Now, that seems so counterintuitive. Like, how could you say that? How could you say that everything won't get better once you get married? I'll tell you why I can say this with abundant clarity. Our culture has influenced our thinking in this way. We think that dating is about getting to know someone 
and determining and figuring out and prayerfully considering whether or not that is the person that you should marry and spend the rest of your life with. You're spending time dating them to get to know them. That is not the goal of dating. The goal of dating is to keep who you really are from that person so they don't break up with you. Can I get an amen? You know it's true. I'm not going to let that side come out. That's what ended my last relationship, right? So you get married, and all of a sudden in the marriage, surprise, surprise, surprise. You're like, I married the Antichrist. What happened, huh? No, you might be the Antichrist. Like, they're just a person. They're flawed. They're messed up. They got issues, and so do you. And now the two of y'all get to figure this out together. Good luck. And here's what happens. Those feelings start to go away. You realize you married a flawed person just like you, and here's what the enemy begins to say. Looks like you married the wrong person. If you'd married the right person, everything you're married, everything would be getting better, not worse. And yet, talk to couples that have been married for a long time, and here's what they'll tell you. Yeah, those are seasons in a marriage. Those are phases that you walk through. But man, you could come out on the other side of that better. You can come out on the other side of that stronger, but it's a myth. We bring it to our marriage, build it on sand. Here's the third one. Everything bad in my life will disappear. Marriage is not a solution for life's problems. You get married, you're gonna still deal with, with feeling lonely. When you get married, you're gonna still feel misunderstood. That's one of our culture's biggest lies, is that you marry the person who understands you. You don't even understand you. You got more conversations in your head with yourself than anybody else, am I right? So why would you place that burden on somebody else? Because that's what true love looks like, Pastor. If they really love me, they'll understand everything about me, and I shouldn't have to explain everything about me to them. Holy boy, you're in big trouble. It's a myth. Marriage is not a solution to life's problems. You're gonna still walk through challenges and problems even after you're married. Here's the fourth myth. Builds our marriages on sand. My spouse will make me whole. You complete me. Y'all remember Jerry Maguire? Well, that was a lie. What was Renee Zellweger's name in that movie? I don't even remember her name in the movie. But when she walked in, what'd she say? You had me at hello. I mean, that movie, I liked the little kid. He was funny. He made me laugh. The little kid, the rest of it, garbage. Garbage. Except for the part where they yell, show me the money. I did kind of laugh at that. I thought it was, I completely digress. But here's the point. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Even teenagers are like, is that from the 90s? It is. It was an awesome decade. It was an awesome decade, okay? We remember it um, very fondly. But we bring that into marriage. So let me encourage you this morning. God did not create an incomplete you. He created you in his image. Your life matters. Your life has value. That value is not based upon whether or not somebody else wants to date and or marry you. That value is based upon what God did to reconcile you back to him. Let me tell you what he did. He sacrificed his only son so that you could have a relationship with him. Your worth and your value is not based upon another person wanting to spend his or her life with you, okay? You were created complete. And when you experience salvation, your identity is now found in Christ. So what is marriage? Marriage is two becoming one. Marriage is not two incomplete people making one another whole. Marriage is not about completion. Marriage is about complementing. You get two Christ followers who come together and become one, they'll complement one another. That's the biblical picture of what marriage 
looks like. But if we're not careful, we can let these things kind of get into the water. So here's the thing. Here's my thing. Here's what I think. Okay, this is the theory. It's hypothesis. I'm not really sure if it's true, but this is what I think. Because you're at church, and I think that's awesome. There's a lot of things you could be doing today. I don't take for granted that you're here, and I love getting to share with you, and it's an honor to get to serve as your pastor. But because you're here at church, I don't think that in most of our marriages, it's so cut and dry that our marriage is either built on the rock or a complete train wreck built on the sand. I think if we're honest, it's probably a little bit of both. There's probably some parts of our marriage that we could look at and go, not perfect, but I think we've built this part of our marriage on the right foundation. I think there's other parts of our marriages, if we're honest, we might say a little bit of sand. It's kind of creeped in, didn't start off that way, but we've kind of lost our way a little bit. And in this particular area, I could see how it's not on the right foundation. So whether your entire marriage is on the wrong foundation or whether just parts of your marriage are on the wrong foundation, what are you supposed to do? Again, I didn't put this in your notes, but I think it's really helpful to think this way. I think we have to right-size it. Building your marriage on the rock, here's what that looks like. You make the right choices and trust that the right emotions will follow. I'm about to share with you four choices that you can make in your marriage. And if the two people in the marriage make these choices over time through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will build your marriage on the rock and the emotions will follow. But see, here, here's how most of us approach things and it builds our marriages on the sand. Building your marriage on the sand means that you wait for the emotions to feel right before making the right choices. And some of y'all already arguing with me in your head. Like, Pastor, if you knew what my spouse had done, you would understand why it's his responsibility to build our marriage on the rock. You might have a good point there. But if you wait until you feel like making the right choice to build your house, build your marriage on the rock, you won't do it. And that's the lie we've bought into church, that all of our decisions should be guided by our emotions. If we feel like it, we'll do it. And if we don't, we won't. And we're way too spiritual in church to say it that way. So here's how we say it in church. Pastor, when I get a piece about it, come on. I just don't have a piece about it. I just don't have a piece about it. And once I get a piece about it, then I'll make the right choice. And here's what I'm telling you, you're continuing to build your marriage on the sand. So even if you don't feel like it, if you will make these choices over time, you're gonna build your marriage on the rock. And then in time, God will be faithful to supply those emotions, faithful to supply those feelings. If you wait until that happens, you'll never make these choices. So what are these choices? Let me get you to jot them down. Here we go, number one, build your marriage on the rock, firm foundation. Choose to stay married, and here's the reason, out of obedience to God. Couples who stay married for the long haul, they stay married for the long haul because they chose to. They're not still married because they didn't face any storms. They're not still married because they didn't go through bad circumstances. They are still married because they drove that stake in the ground and they said, we're going to stay married. And here's where it gets crazy. Their foundation for staying married wasn't whether or not their spouse deserved it. There will be days that your spouse does some things that probably means they don't technically deserve you. There's gonna be some days you do some things. But technically speaking, your spouse probably, you probably don't deserve your spouse. There's gotta be a greater foundation for staying married than just the two people in the marriage. And that's what we're talking about here, that primarily what drives the commitment to stay married is obedience to God. And look what Jesus said. The Pharisees were trying to trip him up. They asked him a question about marriage and divorce, and here's what Jesus said. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. 
I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. So Jesus says, look, unless we're talking about adultery, unless we're talking about abuse, we're gonna drive the stake in the ground and we're gonna choose to stay married. The number one reason for divorce inside the church and outside the church is irreconcilable differences. It's not what this passage is referring to. But it should be different for God's people. There should be a choice and there should be a commitment beyond what's happening presently to build that on the foundation, and that is obedience to God. Here's the second commitment. You're gonna build your marriage on the rock. Firm foundation. Choose to love and respect the whole person, not just the person, not just the part I like, the whole person. I was having a little fun with this earlier. We talked about how we're dating, we try to keep part of ourselves, you know, so they don't see that side of us and you know, break up with us. But this can happen. We, we've talked about our marriage before. Chad came out here a couple years ago and interviewed us, and Morgan and I talking about our marriage, and um, we try to share part of our story. We had a marriage event this past fall. We try to share part of our story. So uh, we've been married now for 20 years and celebrated that in January, so that was kind of fun. Um, and we've talked about this before. The first three years of our marriage were really difficult. And, and, and one of the things that made it really difficult was all of the things that we had been told would make a marriage difficult were not happening in our marriage. I mean, there was no infidelity. Nobody was stealing money. Nobody was working too many hours or, you know, married to their career, or anything like that. But we just, we, we couldn't get along and we we're fighting constantly and we're in marriage counseling and we're trying to figure out, like, what is the problem? And it's so clear to me now. It wasn't clear when we were walking through it, but here's the problem. We were violating this principle. We were not choosing to love the entire person. We kept trying to change the things about each other that we didn't like. I mean, ladies, listen to this. This is crazy, okay? My wife actually believed that if she pointed out the things to me that she didn't like about me, that I would change. <laughs> it's a terrible plan. Guys, let me tell you how dumb I was. I actually thought that if, all, if I just simply pointed out the things about Morgan that she needed to work on, that that would motivate her heart to serve her loving husband and turn from her wicked ways <laughs> and love me the way Christ. Terrible. It was so stupid. And we were both just trying to change each other. And in hindsight, it's so clear. And it was a terrible plan. And for some of y'all, the best thing you could do is quit trying to change each other, okay? It's like, well, what happened? What happened? Was it like this major breakthrough in a counseling session? No, it's God's word. It's God's word. Let me give you the verse that changed the trajectory of our marriage. And listen, a verse that we come back to a lot in our marriage. Here it is. Kind of tucked away in Romans. Romans 15, 7. Accept one another then. Here's the phrase that changed everything. Just as Christ accepted you. In order to bring praise to God. Our acceptance of one another, our loving of one another was not founded on the right foundation. Do you know what the right foundation is? The acceptance that you've experienced in Christ Jesus. That is the foundation for accepting one another. Flaws and all, weaknesses and all, problems and all, warts and all. You don't get to pick and choose. The reason why you accept your spouse is because guess what? You have experienced acceptance in Christ Jesus. Now, it didn't happen overnight, but over time, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it kind of changed the condition of our home, kind of changed the air we would breathe. It changed the way that we 
treated one another. And here's what's really interesting. All these years later, it's not like I finally got my act together. Somebody stopped me in the lobby after the last service and said, you've been behaving lately? I said, eh, 50-50, okay? 50-50, give or take. I got issues just like you. I mess up and make missteps. I run my mouth when I should have been quiet, okay? I do these things. But let me tell you what's happened over time. Because of Morgan's kindness and graciousness and acceptance, that's actually what motivates me to get better. And in time, by God's grace, I have gotten better. See, the only conditions for change are when grace exists. And so does Morgan still do some of the stuff that back in the day, you know, we used to fight about? Well, yeah, but, but guess what I've learned over time? She's my girl. I love and accept her. And, and that motivates her to say, yep, those are still some things that the Lord is working on me as well. That, that we've actually learned how to serve one another to help with us. And, and listen, we haven't always gotten it right. That's why I talk about these things. We haven't always gotten it right. But if the foundation is we accept one another because of the acceptance that we've experienced, it can build a marriage on the right foundation. And we walked through that. Ours was on on, 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 on shaky ground. It was on sand. And then putting that verse into practice has shifted it, okay? I hope that encourages you. Let me give you the third, third commitment. Choose to apply the one another verses in our marriage. There's a whole bunch of one another verses in the New Testament. And we tend to think about, as Christians, applying them in church, applying them with our fellowship with one another. But the first place we should apply one another verses, one another passages in the New Testament is in our marriage. Let me put this up here for a second. Okay, this is a, a picture of a magnet. Now, we did this back in September. And, and I just kind of in the middle of a message in September said, you know, there's about 10 one another verses in, in our marriage that we should apply in our marriage. And we're, we're going to make a magnet out of that. And if you want it, write magnet on your connection card and we'll send it in the mail this week. And our team was like, I guess we're making a magnet this week. I was like, yeah, I just kind of came up with the idea. And that awesome. Like, well, you don't have to make the magnet. But they were awesome. And they made the magnet. And I'm super grateful for it. And a lot of y'all wrote magnet. And we mailed out hundreds of these. And I was thinking about it this week. I was like, some of y'all may not have been there, been at church that Sunday. Or maybe you started attending our church um, since then. And so I wanted to use this again. So I'm going to walk through these verses uh, real quick, but I see this every day on my fridge. Morgan sees this every day on our fridge. It has been really, really helpful. Now I can't teach all 10 of these verses, but I want you to kind of get a feel for this. And it's a really good reminder of how to apply these. And it's been really helpful for me. Okay. So I got a phrase from each of the verses and then I put a little bit of commentary um, beside it. So Colossians 3.13 says, bear with one another. Here's what I'm saying. Cut your spouse some slack today. Just cut them some slack. Just kind of let it slide. Don't, don't take everything to heart. Just, you know, take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. Forgive one another. You're not perfect either, okay? That's a good reminder. Carry one another's burdens. Ask how you can help. Guys, ask how you can help. Ladies, it must be infuriating to live with us. We're just not bright. We're not bright, okay? I know that when we walk through a room that's full of clutter, that we should notice that. And we should actually do something about that before we grab the remote and sit down to watch a game. I know we should and we don't. And I'm sorry. Like, how can you not notice it? Because we could live in the woods. Like, it, it's just not something that we pick up on, okay? 
And we should and we don't, okay? But deep down inside, we do have a desire to be helpful. And so if you'll cut us a little bit of slack and point out the things that you need help with, we'll gladly do it. So gentlemen, ask how you can help. Ladies, when they ask, don't get exasperated and be like, really, you don't see what's going on? He doesn't, I promise. And then just point out and say, here's what you can do to help and he'll do it. So guys, Super Bowl's tonight, okay? It's gonna be awesome, great game. It's gonna be a lot of fun, okay? But before you find your spot to sit down and watch the game tonight, just be like, hey babe, Anything I need to do to help before we turn the game on, okay? You can pause live TV now. Glory to be to God, okay? Am I the only one that does that? My wife starts talking to me. I get in trouble sometimes for that. I'm like, I'm pausing the game. I'm listening to you. That's neither here nor there, okay? So let's just ask, how can I help? Good question to ask. Ladies, cut us a little bit of slack. Wash one another's feet. Serve one another. Honor one another with your words and your tone. You ever heard this? It's not what you said. It's how you said it, man, I'm not good at that one. It's helpful though. You gotta watch your tone. It's not just what you say, it's how you say it. I see this on my fridge, it helps me. Submit to one another. Now, I don't like this one. I'm just being honest with you. I, I'm not sure you know, that was actually supposed to be translated that way, but it is, Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another. Here's what that actually means in reality. Give up the right to be right. I'm really good at being right. Can I just share that with y'all this morning? Don't tell Morgan I said that. I'm really good at being right. I was on the debate team in high school. I was on the debate team in college. It landed me in marriage counseling. <laughs> Sitting in marriage counseling the first couple years of our marriage and the marriage counselor looked at me and said, congratulations, Adam. You've proven you can win an argument. It's landed you in marriage counseling. You are paying me right now. I'm like, what? How'd that happen? I thought that was something I was good at. I thought you were making a point. And he looked at us and he said, I feel like that you guys are both trying to like present your case and I'm like a judge that's supposed to hand down a verdict. I'm like, well, yes. Like, what do you think we're paying you for? Like, of course, I thought this was pretty easy that this is why we were there. And he said, here's the problem. You're both right. Impossible. <laughs> I couldn't imagine how that could be. This is how, I'm what a jerk, right? I mean, you're like, wow, Morgan really is amazing. She really is, okay? Just a jerk. Just a jerk. Obnoxious, always right. In need of just those areas of my life being redeemed. Man. And you know what? Over time, the Lord in his kindness has shown me, even though you think you're right, you're probably wrong. If you think you're right and it's hurting your marriage, I can tell you right now, you're wrong. And when you give up that right, it strengthens your marriage. Build each other up. The world will tear them down. Hey, when your spouse leads your home, the world takes over from there, tearing them down. It's true for your kids too, by the way. When they lead your home, the world does a great job tearing them down. Let your home be a place where you're built up through your words and through your love and build your spouse up with your words. Greet one another with a kiss. Even when you don't feel like it, even when you haven't brushed your teeth. Those are the best, right? Praise God. Give them a good old sloppy wet kiss without brushing your teeth. Encourage one another. Your words matter. Don't slander one another. Honor each other with others. Don't ever speak negative words about your spouse around others. Be honoring your spouse. See, this is not an easy list. See why we put it on a magnet? And if you don't have the magnet and you want it, just write magnet on the back of your connection card. We'll send it to you in the mail this week. It's a really good check. Hey, am I applying these verses that are in the Bible 
first and foremost in my marriage. It's gonna be two steps forward, one step back. You're not always gonna get it right the first time, but as you apply these in your marriage over time, it's gonna build your marriage on the right foundation. And here's the fourth choice to make. Choose to have fun with my spouse because neither of us is promised tomorrow. There was a reason you fell in love. And so many times once we get into a marriage and certainly after we have kids and busy, it, it can just be easy to stop having fun together. I mean, there are some days I feel like we should just in the morning all put our hands together and say one, two, three, go team and hope we all make it back by midnight. I mean, Sam's gotta go there and Jacob's gotta be here and Henry's gotta do this and I've got this with the church and Morgan's got this with the kids ministry and our life is just nuts. It's crazy. It's, it's just, and, 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 and what we know, and because I know this is true for us, I'm, I'm sure it's true for you as well, that if we're not intentional about having fun together, before long, it'll just feel like we're roommates living together, uh, running car shuttle everywhere, taking kids where they need to be, and taking care of that, and paying bills, and what, what we don't have anything for dinner, and it just becomes, it, it, it's just not fun anymore. It's just so much stuff you have to deal with. I'm about to free some of y'all up. Choose to have fun. Make it a priority. I'm really about to free some of y'all up. Your marriage is more important than your children. Some of your lives are being driven and dictated way too much by what your kids are up to, and, and you're not giving your marriage the time and the attention it needs. So sometimes, here's what you need to recognize. The best gift you can give your kids is a good marriage. Not a perfect marriage, but a marriage where the two spouses are committed to one another in the marriage. And sometimes you need to have some fun without your kids for the good of your marriage. I mean, sometimes you just need to tell your kids, hey, it, it, it's bedtime. Like, you're going to bed. All of you, and they all say, well, none of my friends go to bed at this time. Like, I could care less. You're going to bed right now. And let me tell you why. Like, it's because we need more sleep. Well, I think that's what doctors say, but here's the real reason why. Your mom and I are super excited about the next episode in a series we're watching right now, and we can't wait to watch it. Go to bed. Not real super spiritual, but a lot of fun. We're going to have fun together without you. You're not the priority around here. She is. Our marriage is. And that means sometimes you, you don't get to be around. Good night. We love you. And one day at their wedding reception, they'll thank you for modeling the type of marriage where the two spouses in the marriage enjoyed being together. They loved each other. They had fun. Let me give you this little verse from Song of Solomon. This is my beloved, and this is my friend. Can you say that about your marriage today? Not just that this is my beloved, this is the person I've committed my life to. Is your spouse your best friend? Have you let some things kind of slide that, that used to contribute to the fun that you were having, that the, the joy that you were having, the life that you were getting to experience together? See, I believe that's what God would have for you today. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I think some of you right now, you're walking through a storm. And you still came to church together. It says a lot. I hope you're encouraged today. There's not good marriages and bad marriages. There's couples that make good choices that build their marriage on the right foundation. There's couples that aren't as intentional. And over time, what happens is their marriage gets built on sand. I think there's somebody here that the reason why your marriage isn't built 
on the right foundation is because your life isn't built on the right foundation. You've never come to a place in your life where you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're just trying to go through this life doing everything on your own, and it's not working. And maybe today that, that still, small voice in your heart, that's, that's God. And he, he is a wonderful, gracious God who's kind enough to bring conviction into your life and point out your need for a Savior. And the good news is Jesus paid that price. So your sin doesn't have to separate you from God. But can I tell you what will? Your unbelief. Your lack of receiving a free gift of salvation that's offered to you in and through Jesus Christ. And so if that's where you are this morning, man, I can't even talk about my marriage. My life's a mess. I haven't built my life on the right foundation. You're here this morning. You're not married. You tuned me out early on in the message because you thought this is for married people. But in the course of the message, here's what you've realized. You don't even have Jesus in your life. And if that's you this morning, can I encourage you right where you are just to say, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you walked out of the tomb. I believe you're alive. And I want to confess you as my Savior and Lord and ask you to come into my life and save me. I want to build my life on the firm foundation of you. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I encourage you to tell somebody so they can encourage you in your new walk with the Lord. God, I want to pray for the, the marriages in Vaughn Forest Church. Marriage is hard. There's circumstances, there's storms. Parenting's hard. The enemy is attacking us. Some of us are walking through storms. God, maybe in the midst of the storm, you could be kind enough to show us the foundation. And God, for those of us who have built our marriages on the wrong foundation, we repent of that. We want to build it on you and what your word says. God, there's some married couples in this room right now that they need to claim the truth of your word, that your mercies are new every day. That regardless of what's happened in the past, regardless of what got them to this point, that today really is the first day for the rest of their marriage. And it may be a mess, but you step right into the mess. So God, I'm asking you to do that. God, I'm asking you to supply a supernatural strength for spouses that are walking through difficult storms to not give up, but to persevere in you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, can I invite you to stand as we respond and worship together?